All right, good morning. My name is Dan Margulies. I'm filling for by Linzer while he's away. Today is the 20th of August, it's the 24th of August, and we will be picking up toward the bottom of Pei Dalad on the bed, uh, where the Gemara says Ta'ar. So the Mishnah had said Ta'ar. What, in what circumstances uh, do you pay, or not what circumstances, but how do we evaluate uh, the payment for pain and suffering? Uh, so the Mishnah had suggested uh, an analysis that said, Ta'ar kiva'o b'shikudo b'masmer, afilu al tiparno, makom she'ino sechabura, omdim kama adam kayoti b'zerotelli tol, liyot mitzda'er kach. What would you do to assess pain and suffering? Suppose a person uh, either stabbed someone or burned someone with something very thin and sharp, a some sort of a spear, some sort of a nail, and even on the fingernail, which is a place which does not leave a bruise, I don't know, I've, I've had bruises under my fingernail before. Uh, maybe it doesn't mean bruise, maybe it means the, the wound. That is, if someone would poke you on your fingernail, um, you can assess how much pain it would be even if it doesn't leave any permanent mark. That is, the, the fingernail is more resistant. Or maybe it means underneath the fingernail is a very sensitive spot. Um, hard to tell. Okay, but makom she'ino sechabura, that's going to become important. A place that does not leave a wound or does not leave a bruise, we evaluate how much a person like this, that is a similar person, would be willing to pay or would really would be willing to be paid in order to undergo such suffering. That is, if, if you tell me, you know, I'll say, how much should I give you to let me poke you with this needle, or how much should you, would you let me pay you in order to chop off your finger, or something like that. So we're going to have to see how the Gemara goes into that, but the first discussion is going to be about this question of leaving a wound, or leaving a bruise behind. So the, the Gemara says, So we're going to have to see, the cutting, the amputation of a limb is going to obviously have much more extent, other parts of the damages to be assessed as well. So the Gemara says, you could even pay sa'ar, that is for pain and suffering, even if there's no nezek, even if there's no permanent damage. What does that mean? That means if there is an injury which could fully heal, so there's no devaluation or no uh, appreciable long-term damage that this person undergoes because of this injury. The only thing is pain and suffering. So the, that's why the question of whether it leaves a bruise or not becomes important. Because the bruise or the wound could be something that lasts forever. But if it's even in a place that does not leave a bruise, then you could understand that sa'ar could be paid even when there's no mezek. We saw previously that some of the other uh, five, uh, uh, some of the other four, would be mishtalim bimakom nezek. Only in a case where you would pay nezek would you also pay these. We're going to see as well some of the others become equated, like shevet comes connected with ripui. So here, sa'ar even shelo bimakom nezek mishtalim mantana. So which tana is that? That is, which tana is our Mishnah like? That is, that you would pay tsa'ar even if there's no nezek. Amarava ben azaihi. It must be ben azai's opinion. Ditanya, we have a brighter which explicates this machoket more fully. Ben azaihi, ditanya rebi omer kiviyane emra tichila. The pasuk referring to the different types of injuries included under ayin tahat ayin says kiviyah first. Kiviyah, at least for now, let's say it means a burn. But it's not clear necessarily. It means they're referring to an injury which may or may not be presumed to leave some kind of permanent injury. We're going to see that's the machoka between Rebbe and Ben-Azai. So Rebbe says, Ben-Azai, either analyzing another pasuk that lists them in a different order, or perhaps 
parsing the pasuk differently uh, suggests that chabura, a bruise or a wound, um, is what's mentioned first. How can they have this kind of machlokas? So Rebbe Sabar Bechabura Mashma. So a kivia, your in- instinct would be to assume that kivia does not leave a wound or does not leave a bruise for a long-term uh, injury. So Katab Rachmana Chabura Allah in ilo lo. So therefore, the Torah was explicit and said not only kivia, but also mentioned the word chabura to teach you that only if there is also a chabura would you pay for tsar. That is, only if there's also nezek would you pay tsar. That's Rebbe's position. Uben Adlai Savar, Chabura Mashma. Our instinct would be to assume that a kiviyah does have a long-term injury, does create a chabura. So, Katab Rachmana Chabura, Chabura. And therefore, so the Torah was explicit to mention chabura to teach you that kiviyah could refer even to an injury that does not cause a long-term Damage and therefore Benazai would say you would pay for tsar shalov makom nezek. So Rebbe thinks kvia, you would naturally assume, refers to an injury which does not cause a long-term damage. Therefore, the Torah was explicit to mention chabura to in, uh, to exclude those injuries which do not have long-term damage. Benazai thinks it's the opposite. Kvia, think you would think kvia means something that does have a long-term damage. Therefore, the Torah was explicit to mention Chabura to say Kiviyah could even refer to an injury which does not have long-term damage. Okay. And therefore, they have a machloket, whether or not you would pay Tsar in a case where there was no nezek, where there was no devaluation of the person's price on the slave market, that is, no, no phys- real long-term lasting physical injury. It's just about the pain and suffering temporarily, but it will heal. Do you think it, it's just a hermeneutic of like Klaus, Prat, or Prat, and Klaus? We're going to get there. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, my father, Rav Papa. So, Rav Papa disagrees with Rava's analysis. And Rav Papa says like this, Ad Rav, Ifcha Bistabra. No, the whole, the opposite makes more sense to say like this. Rebbe Omer Kaviyah Nemra Tichila. Rebbe thinks that the Pasuk mentioned Kaviyah first. Sabar Kaviyah Ipa Chabura Mashma. Sounds like Kaviyah is one that does create a wound, it does create a bruise. So then the Torah was explicit to mention Chabura to tell you that it's including something that does not cause a wound. Ben Azai Omer Chabura and Emrat Tehila. So Ben Azai thinks the Torah mentioned Chabura first. So Savar Kiviyah Deleipe Chabura Mashma. He thinks that Kiviyah means a wound, an injury that does not cause a lasting wound. Mashma Kata Rafana Chabura. Therefore, the Torah inc- mentioned Chabura. To include in ilolo to distinguish between those injuries which do create a lasting wound that you would pay tsar and nezek, and to exclude those that do not leave a lasting injury that you would be exempted even from tsar. Okay, so that so Rav Papa reads the bright the exactly the opposite of Rava. Okay, so. It sounds like our conclusion should be that the word kiviyah does refer to an injury even if it does not create a lasting injury. No, the focus between Rebbe and, and Ben-Azai is not actually about what the word kiviyah means or what the word chabura means and how the Torah is talking about those kinds of injuries. Rather, it's there's have a machloket about how to apply a drasha, which is usually where most of our machlokot come from. And their disagreement is about how do we apply the principle klaluprat 
if the klal and the prat are far apart from each other. Klal prat usually says, we have a general statement, and followed immediately by some of the details. So we say that the klal, the generality, is limited to apply only to cases which are similar or comparable to the prat. The question is, what if the prat is not right next to it, but what if it's a few words separated? So that's the question. Rebbe Savar, ain danino tobi klal prat. Right? It's four words apart. And Rashi discusses what are the words in between, like, um, Pasuk, right? No, but so Rashi discusses it. So there you go. So Petsa, Petsa is in between Kivia and Chabura. So, Rebbe Savar Ein Danino Tobichalu Prat. Rebbe thinks, therefore, because of the words describing the Petsa, Petsa is a, another kind of injury, um, are in between the Kivia, the burn, and the Chabura, the bruise, so therefore, uh, you could not apply klaluprat, and therefore chabura does not come to limit what kind of kiviyah you would have. And therefore, Rebbe would say, even if it does not cause a long-term injury, you would still pay tsar, even if there is no nezek. Okay? Benazai, savar daninotobi klaluprat. And Benazai thinks, even if there is a few words in between, you would still apply klaluprat. So then, why does Rebbe have to have the word chabura at all? Because he can apply this kalaprat, so he says l'damimiterim. So what does l'damimiterim mean? It sounds like that there's a certain additional amount that you would pay, not just to pay the tsar, but also to pay nezek. That is, if it causes a chabura, you also have to pay for the nezek. It's not just the tsar. Our whole formulation up until now had been nezek is basically primary. Every kind of damage case, you're paying nezek. And then the question is with Parakachovil, we were introduced to the other four. That is, and then on top of the Nezek, there are other things you have to pay for if one person injures another. So here, Rebbe kind of flips it around a little bit. That is, between human beings, the fundamental thing that you're paying for, seemingly, is actually tsar. You're, ca- you're paying for the pain that you caused with this injury. And then the question is, and if it leaves a permanent injury that will never heal, if you cut off someone's finger, if you cut off someone's nose, if they have a big scar then the question is going to be, okay, so now how do we assess the nezek? But in terms of human beings, rather than Kaleem, let's say, your house falls down, that's something where the, the appreciable damage is what's re- most readily apparent. Between human beings, actually the tsar is the primary component. That's because it's sort of most locally centralized in the person. Uh, we're going to see later on this stuff. This daf actually has a lot of the uh, medical, many different medical themes, so uh, certainly an interesting topic. So let's go, keep going. The Gemara says, That is, um, if you're on a game show and they're going to say, okay, we're going to you know, hit you with the sledgehammer, we'll pay you $50,000, and you, would you agree to that? Not a game show, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't mean to rely on too many, uh, too many stereotypes, but there's a, there is a sense of a stereotype that certain Japanese game shows are very cruel, uh, cruel kinds of punishments and things like that. Uh, uh, what is it, the Simpsons you know, episode, they say, your, ga- right? your game shows reward intelligence, our game shows punish ignorance, or something like that. So, anyway, okay, so, right, or eating disgusting, eating and trace bugs. Okay, so, the Gemara says we have to assess how much a person like this would be willing to be paid in order to undergo this kind of suffering. But then, how can you assess Tsar in a case where there was also Nezek? Why? Because, the the payment that the person would be willing to accept is going to cover both the tsar and the nezek. 
Because if you're going to say, how much would you be willing to let us pay you to cut off your finger, but that's including the permanent damage that's incurred, that is, your person will no longer have a finger, and the pain and suffering. So there's no way to decouple the tsar from the nezek. That's the Gemara's question. The Amar Abuad is Shmuel, Shmuel's father. I'm sorry, but you do. I mean, because that's the value of the slave market. That's what it is. No, ah, but then we know how to evaluate the nezek. Nezek you evaluate by saying slave market value. And then Sa'ar, you're supposed to say, how much would this person want to be paid in order to undergo this kind of pain? The problem is if I say, okay, so you chopped off someone's fingers, so now we have to figure out how much money we should pay you in basing for that. Then the question becomes, so how do I evaluate the Sa'ar? I say, how much would you be willing to be paid in order to cut off your finger? The problem is, cutting off your finger is an act which includes both Nezek and the Sa'ar and Boshet and right. Each one of those... But that's not, the, that's not the question. The question is, how much pain we really, you know, just from a pain. And then you <laughs> but then there's no way for a human being to process just the pain. Because a person immediately to think, well, what is it going to be that I'm going to have to live without my finger for the rest of my life? That's going to include what's included in the Nezek as well. So you're going to be double counting the Nezek. No, yeah. This is a very subjective uh, scale to use. If somebody has <laughs> yes. a lot of money, then I find they don't... They don't what, are they, what are they going to say about this? I want to... You know, I'll take this much money to have that done. Right, you're saying, and this is why there's, there's a concern about um, the organ, the yeah, black exactly. market organ, exactly. is that people who are less financially well-off might be inclined, more inclined to, to, take, sell to sell a kidney at a price which is less than what it's really worth because they want quick money fast and they're willing to sell something like that. So that may be a bias in this process that is it's incredibly subjective. It's also very, how much are you willing to pay to undergo an anesthetic and do it? Or how much you pay? To We're going to get to that. We're going to get That's the Gemara's answer, more or less. So let's see the Gemara's answer. We said, hey, hey, show me that. Okay. There's a difference between, you know, the effect of pain on somebody and trying to objectify it in terms of a monetary. Right. Well, that's incredibly true. You know, the exact, that's exactly part of this question. So we see. So Amar Abuad is Shmuel. So Shmuel's father. We see Shmuel's father in a number of places in Shas. Sometimes Shmuel... Shmuel's a doctor, wasn't he? Shmuel, I, I think there's some suggestion that Shmuel... I mean, again, a doctor in the 3rd, 4th century is not exactly the same as doctor nowadays. Uh, <laughs> at that time, it's better than nothing. That's true. Well, maybe it depends. Uh, okay. So we see how much a person would be willing to take to cut off his hand. Who? So how can you, that's exactly the point I was just saying, that is, Abu Shmuel suggests, oh, well, then just see how much the person's willing to have the hand cut off, but then you're going to get into the problem of how do you decouple Tsar from Nezek? How do you get Tsar Lechudei? How do you get the Tsar by itself? So Hakul Hukamisha Dvarnika. It has all five things. Ba'od, the Shoftani Askina. Okay. And we're talking about a case where sort of they're saying, like, you have to deal with it quickly. You have to deal with the case. Ella, like, Toa Yado. What is Shoftani? So, Shoftani, I think... No, no, no. I always thought it was like something silly. Who would want to do that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, just... Oh, fine. Yeah. The point is that the person is... Um, yeah. The person... Who, any person who would be willing to actually assess that... Uh, no, no person is going to give you a realistic value for that kind of assessment. So, the person say, well, are you crazy? I'm going to cut off my hand. Like, yeah. there's no such evaluation. This is the okay. calm responding right. to Abu Correct. Correct. Right. They have two problems. Number one, you can't decouple Tsar from the other four. And number two... Uh, it sounds absurd. Like no sane person would be willing to even have the conversation with you about how much money was involved. You, you uh, it's very interesting. Like, you know, because the word I see there is shofet in there. Right. It's obviously not what they're saying. Right. It's very interesting. Like you know, if, there, if there's like some sort of I don't know the etymology of the word. Uh, okay. So then 
will say, so how much would you be willing to cut off your hand that's already cut off? Okay. <laughs> so it means, presumably, it means that the person has some sort of, or no, that a person maybe has a degenerative illness, and the question is, if, you know, the person has a gangrenous hand, or something like that. It already has an infection. It's going to have to, it's going to fall off on its own, or someone has leprosy or something. And the, the, the injury is such that the limb will be lost no matter what. The question is, okay, so now, like, I could cut it off now, and it will be painful, or it'll happen on its own eventually. Yeah, kind of not thing. the same thing. You didn't do that. It's before. not the same thing. So we're going to see. So, okay. So, it has both tar and boshe, too, because you're quickening the point in time at which this person no longer has a hand. There's a certain amount of embarrassment involved in, in, in having an imputation. Obviously, part of that question is involved in discussing the broader question about uh, how people with disabilities, physical disabilities are treated in our society if, they are, if we are assuming that there is some sort of embarrassment involved in having a physical disability. Uh, obviously, that means something also about how people should be uh, acting toward people who have these injuries and these disabilities as well. Okay. So, he the Kasifale Milt. It's very graphic. Why? Because what's going to happen? That limb will be amputated, and they're going to take it and take from your flesh and just throw it to the dog. That's very interesting. Like, you know, what about the, the buried things? Like That's exactly the question. So in one of the Chuvot about what to do in cases of amputation, I think it's from the Shavud Yaakov, he discusses all the other Gemaras that talk about, well, if you have an amputated limb, that's Eder Min Hachai. So Eder Min Hachai, we know, is Mishamei. <laughs> that is, a Kohen certainly can't be involved uh, in handling or even being in the same room as an amputation and things like that, which re- involves many complications for Kohanim who want to become surgeons or even doctors in general, but that's a whole separate question. But uh, the other question is, Aver Minachai, we usually think, part of the reason we bury people and we should bury amputated limbs as well is because to prevent Kohanim from coming in contact with Timat Nate, to prevent Kohanim from becoming impure from those things. So then, if you would presume that Eber Min Hachai, an amputated limb, should be buried. But this Gemara seems, the Shavud Yaakov quotes at least, as, as maybe one of the few sources in Shas that suggests an amputated limb does not need to be uh, buried. He discusses it. Basically, Lahalacha, we don't think that this is acceptable or appropriate, but it's an interesting source in the Gemara. Yeah, that has, more the Gemara is suggesting, according to this Gemara, it sounds like you don't have to right. bury it. I understand. Okay, so it's Machokas. <laughs> So Gemachol gets within the Gemara, and the way Halakha has come down to us, that, that you do bury it. The Mila, there's a question what to do with the Orla. It's a little bit question. Also, the amount of flesh, it does, it's not a body part that has a bone in it. It has a very minimal amount of flesh. It's a different sort of, you know, there are all the Halakhot in the Tamehim. Yeah, the the yeah, so there's Eivarim that are Mitamei, has to be has to have a bone, and it has to have a certain amount of uh, flesh, Kazai Mitamei, or even things so. All those kind of things, even a small a small um, limb, because even if it's less than a kazai, but it has a bone, has the whole bone, so that becomes so that's the whole uh, that's the bone is separate to itself, and that's the question which ones are only bimag and masa, and which ones are ba'ohel, and the whole masachet o'alot is one of the most difficult masachot discusses with that. Uh, okay, so uh, that's the discussion there. So the, this gemara suggests at least. That, you know, part of the boshed involved is that the person who is having this amputation, the limb will be thrown to the dogs to eat. Okay. Okay. Ella, omdin kama adam yado ha So a person who is already sentenced to have his hand cut off by the wicked government, and now the question is how much is he willing to pay 
to have it done bein besam lesayif. That is to do it medically rather than as a punishment. That is to be done with medicines or some kind of maybe we would say anesthetic, something like that, compared to having it removed in a very painful way. What? Yeah, exactly. So Amri, Hakanami lo shakul mitzar nafshei. Elamdim kamadam roteli tain liktoa lo yado hamuchtav lachut bein saif lasam. So highly tall, litain. So what does it mean litol? Litol means to take. But is it that he is taking? He's but one place is said litain. So basically, bivayle ela amar avuna breder of Yehushua litol zemize. So there shenatanze. That is, whenever there's monetary exchange, it might be called litol to take the money. It might be called litain to give the money. Whatever. Use the same word to describe opposite sides of the equation, but they're they're the same process. Okay. So what about ripui? Ripui hikahu. So if a person hits someone, chayavu rapoto, you have to heal him. Okay, so you say, so tenor banan. What about, the Mishnah had said, alubot smachim, machman hamaka. If there were some kind of scabs or growth that grew out after the injury, because of that injury, vinistera hamaka. Meaning complications. Some kind of complications. The wound healed up, and it, and it opened up again, and it healed up, and it opened up again, right? So vinistera hamaka, chayavu rapoto. You still have an obligation to heal it. The chayavli tenlo shifto, and you have to pay for time off of work. We're going to see that soon. Shelobach malhamaka eno chayavli rapoto, but eno chayavli tenlo shifto. You're not obligated if it if it was not because of the injury. You're not obligated to heal it, and you're not obligated to pay for time off of work. Rabbi Yehuda Omer asmach malhamaka chayavli rapoto, but eno chayavli tenlo shifto. Rabbi Yehuda says if there were growth, that is some sort of extended injury that keeps healing and, and reopening, healing and reopening. So Rabbi Yehuda would say, in such a case, you do have to pay the ripui, you do have to pay medical expenses, but you do not have to pay time off of work for that kind of protracted injury. Um, because the shevet, the time off of work, should only apply to the initial injury and not to the complications. So Chachamim say, ripui and shevet, whatever one is obligated, the other is obligated. They come together. That's the, the, the Tanakhama, right? That, that's the Tanakhama, exactly. So the is, is it's Tanakhama. Just, it's, just it's, it's the, probably it's the Gemara sort of explicating the Shita of Chachamim in a more precise way. Okay. And if you're exempted from paying Shevet, if you're exempted from paying for time off of work, then you're also exempt from paying for medical expenses. The Mai Kamitagi, Amarabba, Shashkechin Hula Rabbanan, they're talking about an injury that should be, or how much should it be appropriate to to bandage a wound, okay? Because we could understand, at least in their time, if the fewer bandages you have, it's going to hurt more now, but it will heal faster. We know that certain kinds of bandages, especially if they decrease the amount of blood flow to the wound, could actually slow the healing process. If you put too many bandages, or you wrap them too tight, it's going to slow down the healing. That's so, a verb, le'aged, to bind. Like, lulav, sorry, right? The lulav yeah, has the to eged. be, right. So or eged, the Israeli bus company. As a, as a noun. I, I just, that's all. Oh, yeah, no. It's not le'aged, to be bound up. Okay. A wound that is suitable or is appropriate to be bound up, kamipagid. Rabbanan sabre, maka nitna le'aged. So the rabbis, that is, hachamim, think it is appropriate to bind a wound. And therefore, even though it slows down the healing, that's part of the initial, that's the proper way to deal with this injury. And therefore, even if it takes a long time, you should pay Shevet as well. The Rabbi Huda Savar, Makalonit Nalagate. So, and Rabbi Huda thinks, yeah, the doctor might tell you to do that, but fundamentally it's not necessary for the healing. 
Therefore, since you could let it heal faster, the fact that you're prolonging the healing is actually uh, it's your liability. It's not the person who caused the injury's liability. So, so that becomes a question, you know, in any kind of uh, this kind of repui evaluation is, suppose the doctor gives you two options. The doctor says you can have, you know, six months of this kind of therapy, but it's going to be, and it's going to be very slow, and it's the safe route, but it's a long time. Or we could be done in a week and a half, but it's going to be very painful, and it's going to be higher risk. Oh, we have risk. It might right. not heal properly. Right. So any of those kind of options, that, so if the doctor gives you both options, how do you say which is appropriate choice, which is inappropriate, how much shave it do you have to pay in that kind of a case? Uh, those are all, you know, major questions. Or even the repui question, the doctor gives you two options. There's a foolproof method that's going to cost this much, and there's a riskier option that might cost less or it might be, you know, less painful or more experimental, things like that, but it's going to have more risks involved. So all of those questions are really going to raise the question of what's what's what what is actually the appropriate way to deal with this uh, wound or injury, and how do you how do you evaluate that? Okay. So ripui detana bekra mechayev shevet lo tana bekra lo mechayev. So in that in that case, that is Rabbi Yehuda's shita is that ripui because the Torah had obligated it, then you're still obligated to pay ripui because the Torah made it explicit that you still have to pay for the ripui, but not the shevet. You have to say shave it, but only shave it during the appropriate time of the repui, not for the entire time it actually takes to heal. That's, How do you know to make that distinction? So that's Rabbi Huda's position. Because either way. it's hard not clear either way. I Rashi says, Rashi says it's blood, not so. He's choosing. He's, he's right, like, I guess that's the point. The discretionary right. aspect of this right. choice. He's looking to right. extend this treatment. Right. So then you still have to pay for however much the, the healing process costs because that's still part of the injury, but the shave at the time of work you wouldn't have to pay. Okay. Okay. The Amina Lehuana, if, so then the rabbis can respond to Rabbi Huda, if the injury is not meant to be bound up, okay, so Ripui Nami why should he have to pay for his choice to have it medically uh, treated in this way if you think that that's not appropriate? Rather, everyone agrees that the right way to deal with this wound is that you should wrap it up with this bandage. But that you shouldn't uh, oh, bind, really? overly bind it. That is because that's going to slow down the healing. So Behuda thinks, since you should not do it too much, therefore that gets you off the hook for Sheva, but since it's part of the Ripui clause in general, you still have to pay for the Ripui in that case. Um, uh, and the rabbis think, and the rabbis think that shefe and ripui you always pay together because they're connected. The pasuk says, like Michael quoted, you have to pay for shefe, and you have to heal the person as well. So each of those uh, clauses, according to the rabbis, according to Chachamim, because they're connected, you pay one when you pay the other. So whatever medical route the person takes that's based on appropriate medical advice, obviously, um, then you would have to pay Shevet throughout that period as well. I'm not understanding. So what does the Igud Yitera have to do with Shevet? Because, because the Igud Yitera will slow down the healing. Yeah. And therefore, you're going to have a longer period of time when you're off of work. And therefore, that'll incur a greater cost for Shevet. But he's not talking about an ego detail. No, he is. That's exactly that's what we're exactly talking about. What that's the ukimta that the Gemara. The Gemara has said that that's the ukimta that we have to make for this machok between the Chachamim and Rabbi Huda, is that they're talking about 
igudisera, that is something which is medically sometimes suggested. Chachamim thinks that that's appropriate course of action. Rabbi Huda thinks it's actually a bad course of action because it slows down the healing too much. Uh, or, or at least from the perspective of an Ezekiel, if you go down that route, we can't make this other person liable because you had another option. You could have chosen the faster route, which would have, again, we're trying to get someone to pay for someone else's time off of work. We're trying to get someone to pay for someone else's medical expenses. So in order to actually make him pay, you have to have a high threshold of proof. Okay. Rock. So why does Rebuda reject the... So this is medical malpractice. Why should I pay... It's not malpractice that they're both options. Yeah, but either he serves a bad thing. According to Rebuda, he thinks it's a bad thing from the perspective of an Ezekiel. That is, it slows down the healing. So the fact that you're trying to now say, I did this medical practice, well, but you could have done it faster. And therefore, I don't I don't have to pay your shaver because I could have done it faster. Okay. So Ezekiel doesn't mean nothing. I don't think it needs malpractice. It means you have two options. One is fast and one is slow. Look, my dental plan will pay for a plastic crown. I won't pay for a porcelain crown. I have two options. I can put plastic, I'll pay for it. But porcelain is a last my whole life, but they're not going to pay a penny. Let's say, you know, you pick the doctor and there is malpractice. Malpractice is a separate question. We're going to get to malpractice today as well. We have to keep going. Okay. So what do you have to pay at least? The amount of time from the regular shaver. Okay. Why does Rabbi Huda reject the hekesh between Ripui and Shaver? Because the Pasuk says, because it says, Rak Rak means you would only pay Shaver under limited circumstances, even if you would be paying Ripui. For Rabbanan, Rak, the rabbis interpret Rak differently. That is, you pay Shaver to exclude things which are not because of the injury. And the rabbis therefore learned that the Pasuk says kol, so kol comes to teach that shevet and ripui are equated. And if you're not obligated to pay shevet, then you're not obligated to pay ripui. Okay. Ripui, the Tanabe Kra, so the fact that the Torah repeated the word ripui, rapoi rapei, was repeated, okay, so lamali, mibailei, with ditanya. So why does the Pasuk say rapoi rapei? A double language. Because we have to learn the drasha of the Tana Debei Rabbi Ishmael. The, ta- the, the Tana from the school of Rabbi Ishmael, the Tanya. The Tanya Debei Rabbi Ishmael, Omer, the Rapo you should surely heal him, but heal, heal. Mikan Shinitan Rishut Le Rope Le Rapo. There is permission granted for doctors to heal. Now, the question is, why does a doctor need permission? What does it mean, permission? Um, so, that's part of the question. If you look in Tosfot here, Shinitan Rishut Le Rope Le Rapo. A doctor has permission to heal. Maybe a doctor is only allowed to heal injuries that a person caused. That is what the Torah is talking about. But your Havamina would have been that an injury or an illness that comes from God that is totally naturally caused. Okay. If you're going to go and try to heal that, you're going against God's will, right? Isn't this what some religions believe, right? A person contracts a certain illness, and then they say, okay, I'm not going to take any medical medical treatment. Whatever God wants to do for me, uh, God should do. I believe that that's God punishing me or something like that. So we say, no, this comes to teach that even for illnesses, that is, even things that are caused by disease, things caused sent by God, nonetheless, human beings have the right and perhaps an obligation to heal those as well. We have to see, the Rambam doesn't quote this drasha. The Rambam was a doctor. The Rambam wasn't, doesn't quote this drasha that says there's reshut, there's permission. 
So why? Because the Rambam thinks it's not permission, it's an obligation. The Rambam in Perish HaMishnah, to Masechet Nedarim, learns the obligation to be to provide medical healing is from the sense of the Hashivotolo by Hashavara Veda, returning a lost object, and he makes a Kavachomer. That's right. If you have to return someone's property, Kavachomer, that if they're sick, you have to return their, their health to them, return their life to them. So the Rambam learns actually a more, even more extreme version of the sense of medical responsibility. Uh, a few other points. Uh, the point about Gezeirat HaMelech, uh, Ramban, Ramban also was a doctor. So Ramban in Parashat HaChukotai, um, it talks about a much debated passage that talks about how much Ramban, um, might have thought that it's actually inappropriate to go to doctors. It demonstrates a lack of faith. You don't believe that God can heal you, right? God is Rabbi Cholid, not human beings. So, uh, much debated, but it's Tzitz Eliezer, in discussing that, and Tzitz Eliezer was a master of medical halacha and has many, many volumes about medical questions in his Chuvot. Uh, so he discusses this Ramban and he says, we know from Ramban himself, his other writings, that obviously you're supposed to go to doctors. He himself was a doctor. The Ramban in Parshat B'chukotai was talking about a time when there are obvious miracles in everyday life. So if there are obvious miracles, then you can believe, then for sure, if God is doing miracles, God will be able to heal you without going to a doctor. But Bizman Hazad, the life we live in, the, the society we live in, obviously the appropriate choice is to go to the doctor. Um, okay. So, Tan Rabbanan. So how do we know that in a case where there was some kind of growth that came out of this wound, and then it opened up again and healed again and opened up again and healed again, so if it's all machmat hamaka, if it's all because of this injury, uh, you still have to pay ripui and you still have to pay shavit. Okay. So could you think that it even would apply if it's not something that was caused by the injury, okay, because the pasuk seems to be very inclusive. Well, the mar, rock, because the Torah says rock, so rock comes to exclude. Rabbi Yossi, Bar Yehuda, Omer, Af, Machmat HaMaka, Patur. He says, even if it's because of the injury, your Patur from paying for an extended uh, wound that keeps opening and closing, opening and closing, Shinemar, rock, because of the word rock, comes even to exclude something like that. So then there are some people who would say even Patru Lagamre, you're totally exempt for an injury like that. Okay. So the whole back and forth here is that there are a lot of Ikadamres and it gets tricky for the Rishonim to figure out how to paskin in those kind of cases, uh, what the conclusion of the Sugya is, but at least the way it seems here is that certainly uh, Ikadamre, the final voice, is that we would say um, that you might say actually that you should if it's not anything related to the if, if, even if it is related to the injury if it's something extended or protracted you probably are exempt and then also um, that in such a case you might be exempt from paying shavit but you would still have to pay report. So that's Ka'abu'a de Shmua we saw right going back and Rabbanan Batrai was the second uh, rabbi's opinion in this whole of the That is the, the opinion of Rabbanan, who said that about the about the Egid um, Yitera, that you're protracting the illness or protracting the healing, uh, so in that case you would be exempt. Um, okay. So is it possible that you would have to pay even in a case where the where the wound was not actually caused by the injury? Okay. So, so does the Torah really have to even tell me that? That's so obvious. What, if I get an injury that had nothing to do with the fact that the person hit me, 
So why should he have to pay for it, right? Okay. So Amrei, my shalom hamaka. What does it mean that it's not because of the injury? Can it tell me? I don't know. It's because you didn't listen to the doctor. That's the question. The achal vash, and you ate honey. They thought, obviously, they knew uh, that uh, sugar is bad for you, at least in certain times. Or sweets. Because sugar is, if you eat sugar while you're sick, it's going to make it slower to heal. The halemakato grogata. Where does that Gargotani. It got some kind of a scab or a growth. Is, is it true that in that case, then, if the person punched me, and then it was healing fine, and then I went and ate candy, and then it got this horrible scab, <laughs> and now I have to go to the doctor, is that his fault? No, it's my fault. So, to Mulamar, Rak, to my Gargitani, to Amarabai, Nata Kirichta. It's uh, some kind of like a, a bound up dead skin, lesion, right? What? The Russian butter meat. Basar mate, so it gets into the gangrenous question or the, the necrosis of the skin. Okay, so obviously these are kinds of things that hopefully you know people don't ever have to deal with themselves. So my today, hello, Allah the Kiribik the Kalba, the Amarle Asich Ana Amarle. Okay, my dvarka. One second. Magan to be like to the cost. 
the magan is magan to to magan is a is a is a is a I think it's like like schar like it's Aramaic word like like a schar some kind of a schar yeah like free for free um. Free for free, or if he's free, he's he's nothing. Um, so okay. the other question is going back to the question of Nitan Rishut La Rapot. Uh, so the Dazikanim on the Torah, the from the Bali Hatosot, one of the commentaries on the Torah, says obviously a doctor is allowed to be a doctor. That's not the question. There's no other profession the Torah feels like is necessary to say, oh, this profession they have a right to do their job. The question is, how much are you allowed to charge for being a doctor? Because maybe you'll say it's a mitzvah to be a doctor. You're healing someone, you're helping someone, so you should have to do it for free because it's a mitzvah. Come the Torah, oh, you're okay to say that you actually have to pay for medical expenses. Exactly this point, which is that a doctor who's being paid is going to perform better than a doctor who has to work pro bono. Um, okay. I'll bring you a doctor from a faraway country. Maybe he's a better doctor, but it's going to cost more, or maybe it'll cost less, I guess. Ideas that'll cost less. The doctors here are expensive. I'll go bring you a doctor from uh, from Mexico who will charge you, you know, half as much. Uh, the guy says, "Asia rechika ina abira." A faraway eye is a blind eye, or a doctor from far away is a blind, blind either has a blind eye that is he doesn't know what's going on here, or he could make your eye blind. That is, the doctor from far away doesn't understand the way people around here live or the, what their diet is or things like that. There could, or well, because he's leaving. he'll yeah. leave eventually. He's not yeah. going to care about the long-term results. There's no follow-up. Right. So all of those kind of questions. So these are major questions. You know, you could go through these to go very Iun and look at all the Rishonim and, and really draw it out to figure out, you know, what modern doctors, how are they supposed to act and what kind of things we can learn about in our our lives as well. Okay. The So what if he says, just give me the money and I'll go find a doctor for myself? Okay, so you'll be negligent and you'll try to charge me more. That is what, if, if I let you be totally responsible for your own recovery, you're going to try to scam me. Now, obviously, it's kind of a strange suggestion because what? Because the person is going to, um, what, the person is going to put their own life at risk, put their own health at risk just to try to earn back the amount of money that it was going to cost to heal anyway. They're not going to make any money off of that. But that's at least this kind of scam that they're worried about, so they don't allow that. The Amarle What if he says, set a fixed price now and just fix that? That is, there's no way that it's going to be variable. It's not going to be based on actually how much it costs, and that way the person won't worry about trying to slow down their healing to overcharge. Amarle, came to Bashab and No, <laughs> all the more so then in that case you're going to try to be negligent. So people are going to make fun of me. They're going to see that you didn't get better because I didn't give you enough money to heal. And then they're going to say to Karolini, Shor Hamadik. They're going to call me Shor Hamadik. Now, of course, the literary point here to connect between Adam Hamadik and Shor Hamadik, right? Shor Hamadik doesn't pay Rikui. So the point is, if a person was injured by an ox and then goes and collects Nezek, then the person is never getting paid for their medical expenses. So obviously... In this case, a person being underpay, uh, underpaying for medical expenses, trying to close the deal early, then the person is going to have lasting complications. It's going to look like Shor Hamazik, because it's Shor Hamazik also. You don't get paid for your medical needs, and so then that recovery, or there will be medical complications that come out of that. So a person would be worried about being compared to Shor Hamazik. He says, I'm okay if people know that I'm the guy who stabbed you, 
as long as you heal, okay. So people don't think I'm ashore that gored you. Well, so right? It's, it's even, more brutal. It's more so inhuman. Is it even today from antiquity, doctors are pledged not to do no harm. Right. And Adam is Muad, right. In other words... Ah, so that's another part of the Rishut Lerapot, exactly. is Adam Muad Leolam. What if a doctor causes, like you said, negligence to the practice? Right? By, they just do. Right. And so then the question is, does a doctor... What if the doctor has a malpractice question? Uh, the doctor thought this would be beneficial, and it turns out it's not. Or a doctor made a mistake. So yeah. that's why yeah. a doctor needs a certain amount of reshoot. You have to put yourself in the risk of trying to do something good, and yeah. then there might there might be complications. Okay. The Gemara continues. Okay? The Gemara continues. Tana. There is a bright. The Kulan Mishtamim B'makum Nezek. So all of them, that is all the other four, get paid in the place of the makom, meaning when you pay Nezek, you also pay those other ones as well. And that really means that Nezek doesn't exempt you from paying the other four. That is, the Nezek is limited to the damage itself, and the mm-hmm. other four cover other parts of the experience. Okay. So, Tana the Kula Mishtam is makom Nezek. So, where do we learn this from? Amar Rav Zid, Mishmei the Rav Amar. Krav Petza Tachat Patza. You have to pay, um, well, Rav Petza is a wound for a wound. Okay, so that's the case that you pay tar for pain and suffering when you also are paying for the nezek that is the damage, which we already discussed at length. I'm not looking about that between Ben Azai and Rebbe. Okay, so hi, we buy Leila Rabot, the Rabot Shogit Kamezit, but own it Karaton. But don't we need Petatahapata to include Adam Hamazik has to pay? A person who causes injury has to pay either in cases of shogig kamezid, you have to pay, even if it was unintentional, as if it was intentional, onis karatzon, or if it was uh, totally accidental, as if it was, you had awareness of it. In kei nichtov krav petsa It could have said, wound, wound by wound, petsa v'petsa, or petsa v'petsa, my petsa tachat patsa, a wound for a wound, shumami natarte, we can learn both from that, because there's an addition, a sense of redundancy in the patsa. Rapapa, much made rabba amar, rapapa quoted from rabba amar, so the Pasuk says you have to heal for it. So that's where it learned you have to pay Rafua even when you're also paying for the Nezek. That's like the Tana Debe Rabbi Shmael, who already said that gets Rashut La Rofei. Shinitan Rashut La Rofei La Rafei. And he should heal. So the redundancy is learned to apply to both. That is, there's a permission for doctors to heal, and you have to pay Ripui Makum Nezek. The Akadim violated for the Amran. But then, so then how can you say that that applies to the Pasuk to apply to uh, that you're obligated to pay Ripui? Could either say Rapo Rapo, O Yurape Yurape. So this fact that it switches, Rapo Yurape, my Rapo Yurape, Shimamina, Litin Rapua Makum Nezek. You have to pay Ripui even when you're paying for Nezek. Ah, but that must imply that there is such a case where you would pay Ripui even if there's no Nezek. What case is that? Tsar. So it must be a case of Tsar. That is, in a case of Tsar, where you would pay Tsar, you could also pay Ripui even if there's no Nezek, even if there's no lasting damage. Why? Because it could take some cost to actually heal that temporary injury. Look at Tsar, Kabaobishipudu with Matsmer. With this price, we already saw that if a person burns someone else with a, uh, a, a, a stick or a, a, a not a stick, a stake or a, a nail, a filo even on his fingernail, a chabura place that doesn't create a bruise, ripui So the fact that it hurts him, he also has has a, some kind of a healing. He has to have some kind of medical expense. 
Okay. Um, sorry, I lost the place. So, Kai Kaibli. Meaning, it's not like I delay Sama Harifa. So you have to give some kind of a very uh, sharp, a sharp um, uh, medicine. The medicine, the ointment is going to burn a very much, or it's very sharp. The achverelavis, right? And it bleached your skin. And then you have to give another medicine that's going to bring back color into your flesh. Okay. So in that case, and shave it. The hadike that you um, that when the person. So what is it? Shave it. So the hadkevitrona, where the person locked someone else in the room, or that he closed him up in a in a box, ubatle, and he got him off work. That is, if someone locks you up forever, so they didn't cause you any physical damage, but they still took you off of work. So that could be shaved just by itself. And no, no nezek and no ripui, no tsar, uh, but it was still time off of work. So boshet, and when could there be a case of boshet without any of the others? Boshet directly that if a person spit at someone else in the face. That is, it's embarrassing but it doesn't cause any kind of physical damage. It doesn't cause you to take time off of work, maybe a minute here, a minute there, but that's not enough to be uh, really evaluated. Okay. A few more minutes. Let's see how far we can get. Okay. So, Shevet. When we are evaluating Shevet, we have a certain halachic minimum wage, it seems. The halachic minimum wage seems to be the amount of money that a person gets paid to serve as the watchman over a field of squash, uh, like zucchinis or something. Uh, so, we have to see what. So the rabbi thought, We assess him as if he is a uh, squash watchman. So, what do you mean? Meaning, is that really fair? Like, it's not really fair. Why? Because the person is going to uh, get up, he's going to be healed, and he's, he's not going to be paid to be a, a squash watchman, zucchini watchman. Why? Rather, he's going to go work as a, a laborer to carry water, to draw water for people, and he'll get paid higher wages. Or he'll work as a shaliach, he'll work as a messenger, bike messenger, maybe something like that, delivering packages and, and doing people's butlering. Uh, <coughs> these, these are all alternative uh, right. standards for Shevet. Right, but what it's saying is that is it really fair to have such a low minimum wage if this person, once he heals, is certainly not going to be working as the as the watchman? He's going to work for a job that has a higher wage. Right, even if he can't go back to what he had been doing before, there are other standards that you could apply. That's the way I'm. Do you think that that's correct reading? In other words, why why do the lowest? Right, why do the lowest? And what do they say? So the Gemara responds, Midat Hadin lo lakta. No, it's not any uh, damage done to the Midat Hadin, to the sense of justice, the sense of fairness. Why? Shekvar natan lo yado raglo. The fact that you already paid him for the injury, that is, the person who had his hand cut off. You paid him the cost difference between a slave who has a hand and a slave who doesn't have a hand. So what does that mean? That includes the sense of how much money he's going to be able to earn even over a long period of time, many years, because that's the sense of how much he would sell for as a slave. And therefore, um, in that case, uh, you've already paid for that damage done to his earning power. Now the only thing you're paying is a very minimal sense of this person has no work at all because he's recovering at home compared to the fact that he could be working a little bit. 
So that sense of a little bit of earnings, a very minimal sense of job, uh, again, with all malonos, we have to always go back to the core principle, mostly Havir Lav Harai. We're trying to take someone else's money to pay for your expense, to pay for your time off of work. So we have to use a fair threshold in that sense as well, which is we're trying to, we have to have burden of proof and we have to have a, a threshold of what's considered appropriate to actually take someone else's money. So the reason why it's such a low threshold is because you already paid for something which is actually have a protracted effect on his earning power. That is the injury done to his hand or to his foot. And now the only question is, well, what is the bare minimum that he could be earning at this point compared to nothing, better than nothing? Um, What's the criterion that workman's compensation is calculated? I have no idea. Right. I don't know why, but it's sort of right. it's a similar. Right. Yeah. The same kind of question. Yeah. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. I'm okay. I'm a rubber. rubber. So what does rubber say? Okay. I'm a rubber. Kitad yadono teino demeyado. Obeshevet roino toki iluhu shomer kishuin. So if you cut off someone's hand, you pay him for the hand, that is the injury, and shave it, you calculate time off of work as if he's a Shomer Kishuin, the, the watchman for the zucchini. Shiver it raglo, if you broke someone's foot, notain lo raglo, you pay for the foot, beshevet it, you assess him if he is a, a guardian at the gate, at the door. Uh, so why a different kind of Shomer? And simet eno, if you blinded someone's eye, notain lo eno, you pay for the eye, he is working as a grinder uh, at the millstone. Why? Because that's a job that doesn't require your eye at all. What's the difference? If you have no hand, you could still be a shomer hishuin. You can walk around the field and inspect and keep the birds away, but you can't do any manual labor because you have only one hand. Or you could do a very limited amount of manual labor. The person who's broken his foot has to sit in one place. So he has to be shomer tapetas. He has to work at the toll booth. He has to work at the front gate of the city because he has to have a sitting down kind of a job. Right. A person who is blinded, that person has to have a job, is assessed at whatever kind of a job is a job that you would, would be able to do while blind. The question is whether some of these are actually even paid less than the Shomer Kishuim, um, presumably because they have lower uh, lower demand. Okay. And what if a person uh, made someone else deaf? No, you pay for his entire worth as a person, that is, his slave value uh, as a whole person. Why? Because, presumably, and again, this is based on the rabbinic understanding, that Cheresh, a person who's deaf, is understood to have been a person who had no mental competence at all, and was unable to function normally in society in any way, unable to communicate, unable to work. Uh, so in that sense, the person has a much higher liability in terms of Nezek, because they've incapacitated this person entirely, and at the same time, uh, there's no shavet because the person has no potential working value at all. Obviously, the evaluation of a cheresh in modern times has changed significantly since the uh, invention and discovery of uh, really or, or really reanalysis of what it means to be deaf and new ways that people who are deaf are able to communicate. Obviously, sign language and all other sorts of things, and, and a textual culture as opposed to a, uh, a spoken culture and all sorts of things. Obviously, people who are deaf have much higher capability now. Uh, than they did in the time of the Gemara. The, the category, contemporary meaning of the category would be brain injury. Right, some sort of really debilitating, yeah. uh, you know, person who's yeah, in... Right. Uh, you know, you caused an injury right. that has debilitated the person. Totally debilitated the point where they cannot work, right. cannot communicate, right. and and really is totally unable to function in society at all. Right. Uh, and obviously that kind of a thing uh, is very different than, than uh, deaf people in our society nowadays. We have to stop there. Uh, time is up, and we'll continue tomorrow.